This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. There you are. Hey. Um, Mixtape. Many of you are old enough to remember that. I gave Joel a hard time. I said, couldn't you at least call it a playlist? (laughs) Um, For those of you who remember mixtape and for those of you who don't, there's there's a connotation that went with a mixtape that I don't want us to miss. You didn't make a mixtape for just anybody. You made a mixtape for somebody you really cared about. And you actually put on it songs that you thought they would really enjoy. It was a sign of affection that you had for them. Well, in the middle of our Bible, there's a book called Psalms. And it's unfortunate it's called Psalms. It should actually be called Songs. Because it's a collection of songs. It was the national songbook of the nation of Israel. And in a way, it was God's mixtape to us. A sign of his affection. So, a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. Uh, We're so glad that you have joined us. A special welcome to all of you. Uh, We're going to dive into some truths today. Uh, we're gonna, it's called Reflections Under the Stars. We're going to look at four reflections. We're going to look at three truths. And in the process, hopefully we, we're going to get inspired. And we have a little homework to, to invite you to this week if you want. I want to encourage you, if you take notes, find something to write on. Because uh, you're probably going to write some things down if, if you're not into that. Get your cell phone out and get ready to take pictures of the screen so that you have something you can reflect back on. So the book of Psalms in the Bible was written by a collection of songwriters. And I think to rightfully understand the book of Psalms, you and I need to know something about songwriters. Songwriters don't sit down and read books and study subjects, and then write a song. Songwriters write out of the experience of their life. And when a songwriter writes, for instance, I remember hearing a famous blues singer interviewed, and he said to the interviewer, you cannot write blues, and you cannot sing blues unless you've had your heart broken. You can't study somebody who had a broken heart and write the blues or sing the blues. It's not until you've experienced that pain that you can actually write with authenticity or sing with heart and soul about that. And it's so easy for us to pick up the Bible and turn to this book of Psalms and somehow to make it clinical and deeply theological. But can I tell you, I don't know a single songwriter who writes a song to convey purely theological sentiments or principles. 
Songs have a way of speaking way down into our soul and our spirit and our heart. And it's so important when we read a song out of the Bible to read it at a heart level and not just a mind level. And I'm going to take us to a psalm that I believe grew out of a personal experience that David had. And I want to tell us a story to sort of set the scene for that. Monica and I have three children, and they're all grown now, but when they were about 10, 12, and 14, we were headed, we, we lived in Portland, Oregon at the time, and we were headed on vacation up to a place where you would never expect to find a pastor and his family on vacation, Hell's Canyon. There's a little irony in that, I think. So we were headed out of town, and as we often did, um, I realized it's not fun to take kids hundreds of miles in a car. Have you noticed that? <laughs> You're 50 miles out of town, and what is the question? Are we there yet? So we came up with a brilliant solution, okay? We would pack the car, and we would jump in the car, at about 8 to 10 o'clock at night, and my wife and the kids would bed down, and I would drive pretty much all night. And when the kids woke up, we were usually either there or a huge step of the way uh, to being there. So we loaded in the car, and we had a family station wagon, and this was, there were no seatbelt laws. I know, I'm a dinosaur. Okay. So we had a station wagon, we put the back seat forward and folded it all down. We had this big foam mattress and the kids all just laid out in the back on a foam mattress. I know, they lived to tell about it too, that's amazing, all right? So there they are all laid out and Monica sounded, Monica was asleep before we hit the city limits. And she was usually so tired from packing every, I just worked, right? Monica actually got the family all ready to go, so she was sound asleep. And I drive for like four hours, maybe five hours. It's, it's two in the morning, and it's pitch black. And I've pulled off Interstate 84, and we are headed up toward Hell's Canyon on a road that kind of snakes uh, through the forest. And I just had this overwhelming feeling that I am in the presence of beauty. And if I keep driving, I'm going to miss it. So I make a decision while I'm driving. I'm going to find a way to pull over somewhere and I'm going to sleep until the sun comes up because I do not want to miss the beauty that I'm in. And like two miles later, Here's a sign, so-and-so state park, camping and picnic tables. And I think, perfect. I'm going to pull into the state park. they got a parking lot probably. I'll pull in the parking lot. I'll recline my seat a little bit, and I'll sleep till the sun comes up. So I pull in. The family's all sound asleep. And I've been driving for like five hours. So I decide before I sleep, I'm going to get out and stretch. And when I got out to stretch, this is what I saw. There was no moon. It was pitch black. 
we were a hundred miles from the nearest podunk town. There was no light pollution and the sky was white with stars. I went in to the car. I got my family and kids up. Dad, what are you doing? It's, it's the middle of the... No, no, you got to see this. And, and I got them all out of the car and they looked up in the sky and it was like it caught their breath. And we walked over to a picnic table. I'll never forget. All five of us laid across that picnic table and, start, and stared up into the sky for like 45 minutes. And we just kept saying, can you believe it? Can you imagine trying to count those? Yeah. Now listen. David must have strolled outside of where he, wherever he was living on a night. When there was no moon and the air was perfectly clear and he looked up into the sky and he went back inside and he got a feather quill and he began to write. You and I have it in our Bible as the 19th Psalm. Let's read it together. Here's how it goes. God's splendor is a tale that is told written in the stars. Space itself speaks the story through the marvels of the heavens. His truth is on tour in the starry vault of the sky, showing his skill in creation's craftsmanship. Each day gushes out its message to the next, night by night whispering its knowledge to all without a sound, without a word, without a voice being heard, yet all the world can hear its echo. Wow, David is blown away. Now, this is not the first time David has seen the stars, but it might be the first time that David ever saw past the stars to the God who made them. And he was awestruck. He goes on to write this. What a heavenly home God has set for the sun, shining in the superdome of the sky. See how he leaves his celestial chamber each morning, radiant as a bridegroom, eager to run his course. He rises on one horizon, completing a circuit on the other, warming lives and lands with his heat. If David were Forrest Gump, he might say, I'm not a smart man, but I know this, God is big. You look to the sky one time and you see that kind of stars and you know God is big. You also know God loves beauty. You also know, David looked up there and he goes, I can see that all that stuff is moving. I have no idea how it doesn't crash. And he said, just, just look at the sun. God has a course set out for it. And it runs that course 
day after day after day and never smashes into anything. The design is absolutely fantastic. And David said, I know this. Everything on earth is warmed by the heat of the sun. God loves to provide. He's big. He's intelligent. He loves beauty. He loves to provide. Now, a thousand years later, the Apostle Paul would write these words in Romans chapter 1. Take a look at what Paul says. From the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible. Did you see that? The invisible has been made visible. He goes on to explain, such as his eternal power and transcendence. He has made his wonderful attributes easily or obviously perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand to some degree and accept the invisible. Wow. So here's reflection number one that David comes to. And it's a super important one for all of us. God speaks to me. God speaks to you through the world he has made. Now listen, God didn't quit that in David's day. God still speaks to you and to me. We're going to come back to this at the very end. But let's at least begin with this reflection that David had when he said, oh my goodness, the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, the splendor of God is written across the universe. God speaks to us. And there's not a person that God doesn't speak to through the world he's made. So David thinks about this for a minute and goes, you know, God speaks to me through his world. But there's another way that God speaks to me, and that is through his word. And as David thinks about that, he takes up that feather quill and begins to write about God's word. And notice what he says about God's word. God's word is perfect in every way. How it revives our soul. God's laws lead us to truth and his ways change the simple into the wise. God's teachings are right and they make us joyful. His precepts are so pure. God's commands challenge us to keep close to his heart. The revelation light of his word makes my spirit shine radiant. God's decrees are trustworthy. The respectful fear of God is pure, enduring forever. The rarest treasures of life are found in its truth. And then he goes on to write this. That's why God's word is prized, like others prize the finest gold. Sweeter also than honey are his loving words, sweet words dripping from the honeycomb, for they warn us, your servants, and they keep us from following the wicked way, giving us a lifetime guarantee, great success to every obedient soul. I, I love this transition that David makes. He goes from looking at the stars in the sky and being completely overwhelmed by the glory, the vastness, and the power of God. And then he turns to God's word and he says, it's the same God 
the same love, the same power, the same intellect that has written this book for you and me. And if I can trust the God who made that, I can trust the God who wrote this. And David, reflecting on many years of his own life, realized that there were times in his life when he walked with God according to his word. And during those times, David enjoyed fantastic success. And there were these epic moments when David tossed aside God's word and decided to do it his way. And they were moments of epic failure and disappointment, and heartache, and yes, even sickness and death. And as David reflected on it all, he was like, oh my goodness, if I could learn to treasure this, like the people of this world treasure gold, And I could invite the God who wrote this into my heart. What a difference it would make in my life. And so David has reflection number two, and here it is. God who speaks so powerfully and so beautifully to me through nature can be fully trusted in the guidelines he gives me for life. I want to just speak to us for 30 seconds here. We're Americans, most of us watching this. And as Americans, we have been inculcated with a wonderful governmental principle, but a very lousy spiritual principle. We have been inculcated with this idea that the majority rules. I know it's a fundamental principle of democracy. And the majority deciding what goes in government is so different than the majority deciding what's moral. Do I need to say that again? It's so important that we understand that the majority never gets to decide what's moral or what's right. The God who made this world has decided what's right and what's wrong. And by the way, he does not have a a random command generator up in heaven that he spins and a command comes off the bottom of God. God goes, guess that's it. There you go. No. God made life. God made people. And he looked at the whole project and he said, if my people are going to thrive and if my people are actually going to bless each other and if my people are going to succeed in this life, there are things they need to be doing and there are things that they definitely should not be doing. And can I just say, they're not natural things. For us. If you're a parent, you know that your kids 
have a lot of natural goodness in them, right? You've seen it over and over again. But they also have another side, right? Mm-hmm. And you saw that more often than you wanted to. Yeah, they're people. And if we just decide right and wrong based upon how we feel and what's natural to us, our life will end up to be a mess. Look at our world. But if we will learn to trust the God who made this universe so amazing, and we will learn to trust him that he has turned all that wisdom and all that design and all of that intelligence and all of that love, he has turned it toward us. And he has written for us an amazing guidebook for thriving in life. That's reflection number two from David. Now David goes from looking at the stars and then looking at God's word and all of a sudden David is struck with a realization. All of this has an implication on what's going on inside of him. So now David goes from looking up to looking at the Bible to looking at himself. And look at what he says. How would I discern the waywardness of my heart? Lord, forgive my hidden flaws. Wherever you find them, keep cleansing me, God, and keep me from my secret selfish sins. May they never rule over me, for only then will I be free from fault and remain innocent of rebellion. Can I tell you that one of the wonderful blessings of getting next to God in nature is you will not only be overwhelmed by the vastness of God, but at some point you will be made much more keenly aware of what's going on in here, both good and bad. And at this particular moment, David is more impressed with his own brokenness. So here's reflection number three, that that David must have had that night. (laughs) That putting himself in the presence of God revealed to David the ways in which he was not like God yet. That was humbling. And can I say that sometimes I think the reason we don't start down this trail is we're afraid we're going to end up right there. And we're going to be so aware of our failures. And the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to be overcome with shame and condemnation. But that's not where David ended up. And that's not where you and I should end up. Because the God who made the world is obviously not a God of condemnation. Or as messy as this world is, it wouldn't still be standing. Because there's a second part to this reflection, and that is, not only was David aware, (coughs) excuse me, of how he was not like God, but it also reminded him that God is for him. And 
He wants to forgive and help him. That's God's message to you and me. Yes, we'll be made aware of how much we're not like God. But we will also be made aware of how much God is for us and wants to forgive us and wants to partner with us to help change in us the stuff we don't even like about ourselves. David has one more final thing to write as he wraps up this song. And here it is. So may the words of my mouth, my meditation thoughts, and every movement of my heart be always pure and pleasing, acceptable before your eyes, God, my only, what? Redeemer? Is that a condemner? No, it's the opposite. My only redeemer and my what? My protector. You know what David realized as he looked back at his life? That there were times when David was way outside God's will. But even in those moments, he was not outside of God's care. He was not outside of God's love. And he was not outside of God's protection. And the same is true for you and me. And so David realized, here's reflection number four, and that is David said, you know what? My spirit wants to live in harmony with God. Did you know that that desire is in every human heart? We have a natural desire to want to live in harmony with God. We cover it up a lot of times, and it gets covered up by all sorts of brokenness in our families of origin, in our own story, on the playground, wherever we are, it often gets covered up, but it's still there. We all have a desire to want to walk in harmony with God. So that's what David learned under the stars. And we could go home and there's a lot to chew on there and there's a, there's a lot we could apply. But there's a twist, a wonderful twist that I want to take us through that might end up being more powerful than all four of those reflections. Because as we wrap this teaching up, we're going to look beyond the what of, of David's learning to how he learned it. Because if you and I can learn it the same way, if we will tap into the how David learned this, then God has, as we'll find in a few minutes, a hundred billion things he wants to say to us and will if we can tap in. So in order to do this, we have to understand three truths about our human spirit. And the first truth is this. We grow and develop from epiphany to epiphany. <clears throat> I used the word epiphany around somebody just the other day, and they said, oh, I love that word. Now, the unfortunate part about epiphany is, aside from church, it rarely gets used, okay? So let's break it out. An epiphany is a moment when something we've been struggling to understand or do somehow becomes clearer and more doable. If, if you're a, a football player and the coach is working with you on a move 
and you keep struggling to make that move, or if you're playing in the band and there's a chord progression and you keep struggling with that chord progression or the fingering of that chord progression or whatever it is, and you stay at it and you stay at it, at some point you get an epiphany and all of a sudden it becomes clearer and more doable. That's an epiphany. So if we were going to graph our growth and development as people, and in this case uh, at church, we're talking about spiritual growth and development, the curve does not go like this. It goes up at an epiphany and then level, and then another epiphany and then level, and another epiphany and level. It's those epiphanies that actually fuel our growth and development. So that leads us to a really important question. How can I get more epiphanies in my life, right? Yeah, of course. So that leads us to truth number two. Epiphanies come our way when we intentionally put ourselves in context where they're most likely to take place. Now, this is church. And so the, one of the things that every pastor would tell you is that's why you need to get your butts in the seats, right? This is where epiphanies take place, and they do. If the pastor is teaching well, and we are blessed with teachers that teach so well. Don't you agree with that? We are blessed with amazing teachers, That's why we come. And when we're here, often we have these moments of clarity and we really grow. Another place that we grow is, is when we go to our community group and the group begins to process some truth or some promise of God or as David said in the song, some warning from God that, that it doesn't make sense to us on the surface and the group begins to process it, and suddenly in there, something comes very clear to us. It's an epiphany. That's why we encourage everyone connected with our church to either be part of a community group or go to one of the development courses that we are teaching, like the Exploring Faith course or the Meeting God in His Promises course. Th those are places where epiphanies are more likely to take place. Now, you can hear that from virtually every church, every pastor. But I want to focus on something that I think is largely lost on American Christians. When David walked out into nature... And he saw evidence of God in nature. It happened to be the starry sky that night. He could have been in a redwood forest. He could, be, he could have been beside the Pacific Ocean. Well, he wouldn't have been, but you and I could be. The point is, when people who are the special creation of God put themselves out in the nature that God created for us, we provide God an opportunity to speak to us a message that might be hard to hear here. 
But as Americans, we get a little too busy for that. So here's the third truth that I think is so important. This is what we'll close with. The most fundamental and universal, by universal I mean it works for everybody, way that God speaks to me is through nature. Listen, I love the fact that God speaks to us through his word. But how's God going to get me a message if I never read this? If I don't even believe in him? If I don't own a Bible? God says, I can still speak to you. Because the most basic and the most fundamental way I speak to every human being, no exceptions, is through the world I've created. So here's our invitation as we close. It'll take a little time, okay, to spend one hour of reflection in nature sometime this week. Don't go sit on a picnic bench by McDowell Boulevard. (laughs) You're not quite deep enough in nature, probably. Okay? Get in a forest. Get by the ocean. Get up on a mountainside. Get by a tumbling brook. Sit in the middle of trees whose leaves are changing color as they all are right now in our world. Get somewhere in nature and listen. Quiet your spirit. Open your heart. We just sang a song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. It's a posture of openness. Three things. Okay? Open your heart. Quiet your spirit. And here's the hardest one. Be patient. I've been here, God, for three minutes now. I'm not feeling much. You cannot microwave God's message to you through nature. Just go enjoy Him. Go enjoy His nature. And here's what I want you to know. There's a wonderful way that you can connect with God through His Word. But there's a level that you can never connect with God if it's purely through his word. Go sit in his world and you will bond with him at a level you've never bonded before. And here's what will happen. The next time you pick up his word to read, it will come alive to you because you actually are beginning to know the guy who wrote it. So on that night that David walked out under the stars and picked up his feather quill and he began to write the splendor of God is written in the stars David not only had an epiphany he had a bonding time with God that bound his heart to God inseparably just as your pastor and your friend, I want to invite you, go have, go have one of those. Go sit with God. Let him speak to you. We're going to sing a song as we close, sometimes called a hundred billion. 
The actual title of the song is So Will I. But you know, the interesting thing that hits me every time we sing this song is when you and I use the term 100 billion, we sort of automatically put that into a place of a hyperbole used for illustration or effect. And for every other circumstance in life, it would be. But when you use the term 100 billion and you connect it to God, it literally is not an exaggeration. How many stars are there? Think there might be 100 billion? As far as we know, there is no limit. There's a phrase in this song, working. It gets down to where we live. And it says, a hundred billion failures disappear. Do you think God has forgiven a hundred billion failures? Some of us could say, I made a significant contribution to that. Yeah. The God you and I are coming to love is so, so amazing, so beyond our ability to actually fathom or comprehend, and yet so near and so personal. As this song says, if a hundred billion stars are going to praise him, well, so will I. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite us to stand. I'm going to pray for us. Listen, if you've never decided to follow Jesus, I can't think of a single good reason why you wouldn't want to do that today. And I just want to invite you to do that. If you're here in this audience, I'm going to hang out down here for a few minutes afterwards. Everybody else will be making their way out, so we'll have a, a quiet moment and a quiet place down here. I'll just hang out down here for a few minutes. And if you make the decision that you want to follow Jesus with your life today, you just come down and talk to me. I want to pray with you and get you a good start on that. For those of you watching online, you can make the same decision. Okay? Go to our website. My contact information is on our website. Send me an email and say, Pastor Ron, I decided to follow Jesus today. And, and I will get in touch with you and I will pray with you and I'll, I'll work to get you a good start as you follow Jesus. And for all the rest of us who have already made that decision, may this be a wonderful week where we go out and we sit with God. And we come back with reflections of our own. God, I bless you. you. You are so wonderful. Thank you for meeting David in the starry skies that night. Thank you for meeting us wherever we will be this week. When we draw alone to be with you. And we come with an open heart. And we quiet our spirits. And we wait. And God, we trust that you are going to speak powerfully to us that many of us will be moved to tears, so overwhelmed by your love and your goodness and your power and your transcendence that you've written in the universe. 
And God, this song is the prayer of our hearts. If a hundred billion stars praise you, well, so will I. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.